We want to encourage you, if you're uh, streaming, watching on uh, Facebook, you can pick up a pair of notes um, on the church website. There's a video player, you can link onto that, or if you're on the Facebook uh, page, there's a comment section, and you can pull up uh, the notes, the outline for today's talk. Also, we want to give you an opportunity to grab your Bible, pull it off the shelf, uh, pull it out of your notebook, whatever. Um, take it, and uh, we'll be opening it in just a moment. All right, so here's the deal. Um, last week, Dane County uh, is uh, put out a policy to enforce mandatory mask wearing. The Public Health Madison Dane County announced Tuesday morning masks or face coverings will be required in public or private buildings effective Monday, July 13th. And for those of you that have been out of touch, that's tomorrow. Uh, Today's the 12th. Face coverings will be required of everyone five years old and up when in an enclosed space. Um, And the order is countywide. So for Dane County, that's, that's us. We're in Dane County, Life Church. So we'll be, we'll be following that, and just, um, just a heads up as well, uh, somebody asked me this morning, hey, are you going to be wearing a mask when you talk? And I said, no, no, because you're more than six feet away from me, you know? I can't spit more than six feet, so you're, you're in a good place. Uh, the worship team won't be wearing a mask as well, but when we're down amongst the folks, um, yeah, we'll be wearing masks, so, so just a heads up on that. Um, And I was brushing my teeth this morning, and some of you are happy about that too, I know, Uh, and this thought occurred to me. Um, I've been, I have trouble with my gums, I've I've had it for a long time, and so I have to go to the dentist more often than you. Um, Both my mom and dad had gingivitis, Uh, they lost their teeth. Uh, I've been trying to be proactive uh, with that. So the last time I went to the dentist, um, they said, man, you are losing this war. You know, I've been kind of holding steady. Um, And, uh, you know, we're going to have to do some more, you know, take this to a next level. And so I said, let me, let me do some work at home first. So I went out and I bought a, uh, a, a pick, a water pick. And um, beating my gums up with that and, uh, you know, flossing, whatever. Just, I have my timer out so I can brush my teeth for exactly two minutes. <laughs> that's a long time, man. You know, I, every time I brushed, I thought, that's two minutes. And it ended up, if, it really was like 37 seconds, man. So... So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really being intentional about, and a thought occurred to me, you know, these are my teeth. I, I, I don't have to listen to the dentist. You know, I don't. I, I could just blow them off and say, I'm going to do what I want to do, man. You realize how much time and investment, uh, you know, of, of taking care of those gums? Man, I don't want to do that. And he would just simply say, well, you're going to lose your teeth then. So it is. We can take that same example, you know, these are our teeth. Uh, When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we could say, this is my life. We just sang a song, I Surrender. And if we really believe that, when you put your faith in Christ, you are dying to yourself uh, 
And now Jesus becomes your leader. You know, what he says, you follow after. And um, so I want just to uh, raise the, the lives that you and I are living in right now, the world we're living in. Uh, it seems like everybody is kind of doing their own thing. And um, just shooting a flare in the air, if you have put your faith in Christ, uh, what's most important to you? Well, what's most important to you should be the character of Christ, the honor of Christ, his fame, and living our lives accordingly. So 1 Corinthians uh, 15, 3 through 6, Paul writing, he says, I passed on to you what was most important. And so I, I submit that question to you. What is most important in your life? And all we have to do is stand back and see the world today, all the different agendas, etc. But as a Christ follower, this is what's most important and should be in each one of our lives. Paul says, this has been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins. That's very important. Just as the scripture said, he was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. He was seen by Peter and then by the 12, and after that he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. So Paul is making life pretty easy for us by saying, listen, don't get caught up in all the peripheral issues of life, all the distractions that are pulling your attention. Stay focused on what's most important, that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, pointing people to Christ, living that example in front of those folks around you, and uh, letting Christ use you as a representative. So that's Paul saying what's most important. Now Jesus, in John 17, he was praying to his father, and he was kind of praying for uh, you know, getting ready to be ascended back to, to heaven to be with his father. And so this is a prayer, I think, that we can remind ourselves of what's most important and very important to the heart of God. In verse 20, Jesus says, I'm praying not only for these disciples, he's talking about the disciples that were gathered around him, but he says, but also for all who will ever believe in me. That's you and me. It says, for all who will ever believe in me through their message. So Jesus was praying for his disciples, but he was also praying for you and for me 2,000 years beyond the time he was with his disciples. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. What's that look like? That means that we we would be one. I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. What's the heart of Christ? 
The heart of Christ is not you fighting for your personal rights, your teeth. No, no. Jesus, the priority, what he's saying is that you would lay your rights down and say, Jesus, it's all about you. I'm living my life for you. I'm not going to get cut up in all the distractions that are swirling around me, that are pulling at me, that are trying to grab me, distract me. It's a good reminder. I thought of an image like a football receiver. Uh, A football receiver, if you were to ask them what is the priority in catching a pass from the quarterback, And they would say, you need to keep your eyes on the ball, right? You would have to keep your eyes on the ball. It doesn't matter. So if you're getting bumped at the line and and a defensive back is shoving you, all the distractions, getting your way down the field, you purpose to keep your eyes on the ball so that you can catch that pass. See, that's the priority. And I can tell you, in the game of life right now, there's a lot of pushing. There's a lot of shoving. There's a lot of, you know, whatever on the field to keep your eyes off of what's most important. And so in Hebrews 12, 1, it says, let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. In other words, don't get sidetracked, you know? Don't stop running because you're caught up in this over here. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. There it is. There's the key. The priority that you and I need to live is on a daily basis. Lord, I'm fixing my eyes on you. The hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Can you do that, friend? Hmm? Will you join with me as we endeavor to humble ourselves and say, Lord, use me. I'm not going to, these are my teeth, and I don't care what the dentist says. No, Lord, I am, I am surrendering my life to you. What, what your priority is in life. These other things really don't matter. Really. In the scheme of things. We're talking about eternity. Eternity. So. Last night, I went out for a walk. And... looking to the north and then panning to the west. I'll tell you, man, the sunset was breathtaking. It was breathtaking. And I said, Lord, you made that sunset, man. How cool, how cool. What a God, you know, what a God. And I surrender to you. I, that, that was my prayer last night. Lord, I, I surrender to you. I need you in my life. So if you're not getting outside, I want to encourage you to do that. Just look at God's creation, his handiwork. He created you too, man. Think about that. 
nine months of knitting you together. He took time, nine months. Didn't just blow you together in 24 minutes, you know? 24 seconds, no, he took nine months daily putting you together. Why? Because he loves you. And so uh, because of that, we, we endeavor to love him. Lord, we are grateful for, for you. You are alive. You are living in those of us who have placed our faith in you. You have taken up residence. You've moved your furniture in. And, uh, and Lord, because of that, we want to uh, say yes to what you want us to do with our lives. And so thank you. Thank you for every detail that you're involved in. And uh, this morning as we open up your word, talk to us. Uh, you, you're, you're always good at doing that if we let you. Um, so much noise in the world, but we have to purpose to quiet things down around us so we can hear you. And we do that right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Life is full of surprises, have you noticed? Uh, and, and some of those surprises are not pleasant. They're not. They're, they can be painful. Um, even when you're driving, uh, you know, it could, there could be a sign that there's a bridge out or a road closed, and you, you think, man, I got to be somewhere at this time. A detour ahead sign, you know, oh, come on. That's life. We're on the road of life. Those things happen. And many times when detours come up in our lives, we, we kind of, uh, express our frustration, you know. Um, sometimes you feel like maybe God's abandoned you, maybe He's forgotten about you. Um, maybe God is against you for some reason. He's just paying you back for your big mess up in life. Not true. Not true. So, the Clark family, they had 11 folks in their family mom and dad and nine kids, lived in Great Britain over 100 years ago. And living in Great Britain at that time, they felt that a better life could be found in America. And so they scrimped and saved for years until they had enough money to secure passports and buy um, tickets for the transatlantic voyage. But just a week before they were supposed to sail, the, their youngest son was bit by a dog. <laughs> uh, yeah, he got bit. And the doctor, you know, he treated the wound and he said, hey, hey, there could be a possibility of rabies and I'm going to require your entire family, all 11 of you, to be quarantined for 14 days. Um, I know you're good at math. That kind of factors into the time they're supposed to leave, right? You realize that? Yeah. Just that quickly, the family's dream snuffed, was snuffed out, and they, the money they wasted on uh, their tickets that they couldn't use, those were not transferable tickets. Uh, they would have to start all over again, saving and um, from scratch. 
The dad, Mr. Clark, you can imagine, was besides himself. Man, he, he angrily cursed God for being so heartless. But that's not the end of the story because he changed his tune when he heard that that very ship that his family was supposed to be on ended up sinking, crossing the ocean. And so instead of cursing God, he paused long enough to say, Lord, thank you. You see, detours can be messy. So this morning we're going to take a look at road closed, bridge out, um, detour ahead. That's life. Some of you are in a detour right now. Some of you are, have been put on hold and you don't like it. And it seems like God has, you know, just kind of stiff-armed you. So, Proverbs 16.9 says, We can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. And we're grateful for that. So we're going to go to the book of Ruth, and that's in the Old Testament. Ruth, uh, there's two books in the Bible uh, named after women. One is Esther and the other is Ruth. So you're... you're in a good place today, um, as we as we hit this great book, uh, we're going to start at verse one of chapter one. So, if you have your Bibles, you can go there on your notes. You've got most of the verses. We we kind of fit all those verses in the, the chapter on a half sheet of paper, so you might find some are missing along the way, but you've got your Bible, so you're in good shape, right? (laughs) All right, Ruth chapter 1, verse 1, in the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife was Naomi. Their two sons, Malan and Kilion, and they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. Then Elimelech died, and Naomi was left with her two sons. The two sons married Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpah, and the other a woman named Ruth. But about 10 years later, both Malan and Kilion died. This left Naomi alone without her two sons or her husband. Now you could say, wow, this is a sad story, which it is. And um, we see that uh, some, some bad stuff is hitting the fan in her life. But I can tell you that God is still working through it all. Uh, we need to go back uh, to the book of Judges. It's, it's the page right before Ruth kicks in to kind of get an idea of what the, the context of this uh, book in the Bible is all about. So let's go there, Judges 21, verse 25. Just back up, boom. Last chapter of Judges 21, verse 25. In those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. This was written 3,000 years ago. And... And it's possible, you might be thinking, wow, this sounds like it was written yesterday. (laughs) Right? 
Yeah. So, in those days, Israel had no king, and all the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. And unfortunately, when you look at Israel, God's chosen people, and they were supposed to be the, the highlight of all the cultures in the world, and they were, they were to be the example that other countries would model, you know, and say, hey, we, we look at how God's blessed Israel, and, and that relationship is amazing, and we want to follow after that. No. No, instead of that happening, Israel just kind of melted in with all the countries around them and worshiped all their false gods. And unfortunately, when you look at Israel, man, it was, you know, this cycle, you know, where they, they would obey and then they would disobey and then they would be judged and then they would suffer and then they would become desperate and then they would return to the Lord. And this, this went on. Some of you might be living your life very similar to that, like, like you, you sin, you, you cheapen the grace of God, you, you allow habits, life-controlling habits in your life, and so you figure God is forgiving, so I'll, I'll sin, but then I'll confess my sin. Can I tell you that's a rat race? That paralyzes you from any spiritual growth happening in your life at all. Because here's the deal. God wants to empower you to where you say no to sin and temptation and you say yes to walking in victory. That's what God wants for you. That's what he wanted for Israel. He wanted them to walk in victory and experience God's blessing on their lives. And so many in the body of Christ have just compromised and they wonder why they're so bored with their walk with Jesus. It's because, man, you're not walking in victory. He wants you to walk in victory. And so Ruth uh, occurred sometime between 1160 and 1100 BC. Um, these were dark days for the nation. And the author of the book kind of gives a snapshot perspective in, in these few chapters, focusing on one family in a small town. So here we go. Number one, trouble hits the fan. Trouble hits the fan. Verse 1a, in the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So the book opens with really, again, a detour, a, a, a flare in the air, you know, like this is bad stuff. Uh, famine usually came from a drought, lack of rain, which drove Naomi's family out of Bethlehem into neighboring Moab. Now, I can remember back in the day, 1988, uh, so, some of you weren't even born yet, but um, uh, Debbie and I had moved to Mount Horeb in, in, in the spring of 1988, and, and I think from the time we moved through all of summer, it never rained here. And I thought, I thought we lived in the Midwest, not in Arizona, in a desert somewhere, you know? And to be honest with you, it was really, I felt in people that we came in contact, it was kind of ominous. Because the ground, you could see the cracks in it, you know? Kind of like this. No, that, yeah, like that. Like that. The, the cracks are right underneath the, those corn stalks, man. Um, 
but it was, you know, everything was brown and there was, it was kind of disheartening to be honest with you. We drove two hours north and everything was green, you know. It's kind of like what was going on here uh, in Bethlehem. It was drought, famine. And so um, because of that, um, you know, something had to happen. Almost every time famine is mentioned in the Bible, it's connected with God's discipline with his people when they refused to obey him. It was God's way of trying to get their attention. God does that even today. You may be experiencing famine spiritually in your life. You've shut God out. You've prevented him from watering the soil of your heart. And you've become very bitter. And I want you to know that God desires to get your attention so that you will return to him. Deuteronomy 28, 24 says, the Lord will change the rain that falls on your land into powder and dust will pour down from the sky until you are destroyed. So this is not, um, you know, a famine in the promised land. Didn't it just happen? It wasn't a natural disaster. God used famine to, to relay a message to his people. You know, just, hey, 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 remember me. I'm your God. And so, so that's, that's where that's at. Trouble hits the fan. Is that happening in your life right now? Is trouble hitting the fan? Um, well, that's not, that's not the end. We have number two, trouble forces me to choose. Verse 1b, so the man, a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. And uh, we already read this text talking about his bringing his son's wife. Uh, he ends up dying. Let's take a look at a map. Bethlehem, um, you can see this is Israel. The sea of Galilee is up on the top. Sea of Galilee, uh, the Jordan River taps from that going south into the Dead Sea. And you can see Bethlehem five miles south of Jerusalem. So Elimelech takes his family. He has to go a little bit northeast to get around the Dead Sea and then come back down to Moab. Uh, what's interesting is the name Bethlehem, what it means. You know what it means? It means house of bread. And the house of bread is in a drought right now. Moab, southeast of Judah, seemingly received sufficient rain. I, I don't know about you, but this past week, I, when we sit down for our meals, I will say, Lord, thank you for the rain. And we've had, we've had rain last week in July with extreme heat, so I'm grateful for the rain, aren't you? Yeah, I'm grateful for the rain. So I'd say, Lord, thank you, because I know how quick things dry up without rain. And so um, the house of bread, people were starving to death. So this man um, makes a decision, you know, do I stay uh, and see my family deal with hunger or do I make a, a move out of here 
to Moab. We've heard reports that Moab, things are, are thriving on their farms. And so he decides to move 50 miles to the east uh, to Moab. And um, here, here's the sad part of the story, I think. Trouble forces me to choose. And trouble right now that's hitting your fan is forcing you to make a decision, isn't it? Isn't it? You have to decide how you're going to respond to the trouble hitting your fan. You can run from it. You can deal with it. Or you can put your head in the sand, you know. But I want to encourage you. This is what I feel Elimelech. I'm not going to pound on him and say, man, you messed up big time. I'm just going to say, how come you didn't? It, we, we have no record of the man seeking God on what he should do. I think what happened was because famine hit the land, panic set in in his life, and he just called two men in a truck, loaded up the truck, and boof, went over to Moab and called it today. Moab, by the way, is no place for God's people to live. In the land of Moab, their God was called Chemosh. Chemosh, you know what they did? They sacrificed human beings on the altar in Moab. Does that sound like a cool place to live? Huh? Um, their culture was degrading. It was perverse. What's sad about it is Elimelech's name means my God is king. My God, capital G. In other words, the God of Israel is king. When his parents had him, they chose this name on purpose that he would follow after God. But instead of God being his king, what does he say? I am king. These are my teeth. I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to run my life the way I want to. Instead of turning to the Lord, he turned his back on the Lord and moved to a, a culture where they sacrifice human beings on the altar. How can that happen, friend? How can that happen? And then we see Naomi's name means pleasant or sweet. You know what the sad story is with, with her? She changes her name. Yeah, she changes her name. When you go to the tail end of this chapter, she says, I'm not Naomi. I'm not sweet anymore, man. I'm ticked off. I'm ticked off at God because he's picked on me. That's life beat Naomi up to where she said, my name is no longer sweet Call me Mara, which means bitterness. Call me bitterness. Because that's what can happen when life beats you up. When you keep your eyes off of Christ, when you walk away and you let life just pound you, man, and you stay at a God's word to keep balance in your core, you, you start thinking, oh, God, he hates me, you know. And life isn't fair. And your perspective of who God is, you create your own image of who God is. That he's mean and he's old and he's, he's out to get you. It's a sad, sad picture here of Naomi when her name is sweet, pleasant. She becomes bitter. Some of you today might be dealing with bitterness in your life. You're ticked off at God. 
because life isn't fair. Milan means sickly. Kilion means pining away or dining. How would you like to name your sons those names, man? You're dying. You're sickly. I don't know where they came up with that. Was there a book from a bookstore? They, they should throw that one away. But anyway, Elimelech decided to leave Bethlehem and to go to Moab. He chose to leave church. He chose to leave fellowship with his friends in that community. Do you know that in America, they are expecting 8,000 churches to close this year? You think this is some kind of a game that you're living, you know? I'm just going to walk through this. Friends, every single one of us, man, somehow, some way, life is pounding you. And you have to deal with it. If you let it just pound you, it will destroy you. You need to stay connected. First with God and second with his people. It's a must. It's a priority. So, Elimelech left that sweet spot. Yes, there's famine. I get it. Moab, anybody want to, Moab, Moab means desire. And a lot of God's people today are leaning towards desire instead of holiness and self-discipline, delayed gratification. So Moab means desire, easy to go there, man, easy to hang out there. So, verse 3, Elimelech died. Naomi was left with two of her sons. Elimelech, why did he move to Moab? Why did Elimelech move to Moab? Not to die, right? Why did he move his family? He, he didn't want anybody to die. And so he goes to Moab to live, and he ends up dying. Don't know how he died. A woman who was told that she had a limited amount of time left in her life, she was dealing with a, a real attack on her body. She was writing her, her own obituary, and she summed it up. I was born, I blinked, and it was over. Can I tell you that's how life is? I, I think of my dad, too. I, I flash back to him uh, in his later years, and he kind of went into the quiet mode. Didn't do a lot of talking. I look back now, and I think that's probably what he was thinking, man. You know? I've lived my life, I've blinked, and now it's almost over. That is why it's so important that we choose to live for Christ. Because that deals with all eternity. What you're doing with your life right here, right now, you're investing it in eternity. So, so that's that. And um, the two sons married Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpah and the other a woman named Ruth. But about 10 years later, both... Milan and Kilian died. 
This left Naomi alone without her two sons or her husband. So they, they married Moabite women. Ten years later, they died. Now Naomi is without her two sons and her husband. So let's go back. Why did Elimelech move to Moab? Hmm? So he and his sons would not die. And what happened? They died. They died. Um, number three, trouble prepares me for God's grace. Trouble prepares me for God's grace. Verse six. Then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland. This is, a, this is a great verse. Because prior to all this, with the famine in the land, God now was blessing Israel again. He was healing her. The people were awakening to the truth about their lives and they were living for God. And so we see Naomi heard in Moab, 50 miles away, that God had blessed the people in Judah by giving good crops again. Hmm. Naomi heard the Lord. Uh, no TV, no radio, no social media. How did she get the word? Huh? How do you think? Anybody have an idea? I don't have an idea. Use your imagination. Word crept into Moab. Hey, word on the street, things are... Turning a corner where God's grace is being poured out on his nation once again. Yeah, that's good stuff. His grace was extended to his people. And um, the Lord had come to reignite his people again. It starts this, it starts this story with a, with a, with a turnaround. Um, have you ever faced a turning point in your life? Hmm? Have you ever come to that point where you're at a crossroads... Um, there's a geographical, a spiritual turning point. You know, it's, it's the turning point of going back to Bethlehem. Uh, Ruth um, turning to God in faith. Man, some good stuff's going on here. In the midst of all the trouble that has hit the fan, God is working. God is working. And that's where you need to keep perspective. This life is short. This is not my home. Bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people. That's the way life is. But God is good. He is. I know that sounds like a cliche, but it's true. Naomi hears Bethlehem's got food and she decides to return home on that vigorous seven to, ten, seven, to ten, seven to ten day journey across the desert. So, um, Henry Blackaby wrote, a crisis of belief is not a calamity in your life, 
but a turning point where you must make a decision. That, that happened with Naomi. It happened with the two ladies that were with her. You must decide what you are truly, what you truly believe about God. So that's, uh, that's our responsibility. A crisis of belief is not a calamity in your life, but it's a, a turning point where you, we have to decide what I decide about God, you know? And this morning, I just want to ask you, how is it with your life right now? Have you been distracted with life? Have you been beat up? Have you had detours? Have you felt like there's a famine in your world, in your life? I, I want to encourage you to pause. And we sang it earlier, I surrender. Maybe it's just simply giving God control of your life, saying, these, these are my teeth, but I'm surrendering my teeth to you, Lord. This is my life, but I'm giving it to you, Lord. It's not about me. It's about you. Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you, Lord, that you're a God we can count on because we're realizing that things we counted on, we can't count on anymore. They're gone. But, Lord, you are always there. And we look at the Clark family when their son got bit by a dog. It looked bad at first, but walking through it, there was a purpose. And Lord, as we look at Naomi and Ruth, we see the husband and two sons dying. And that's a terrible thing, but Lord, you were still working, you were not finished with this story. And so, Lord, we can apply that to our lives. Sometimes it looks like you hit the pause button where our life doesn't seem to be going anywhere. Maybe we can't feel you. We can't see you working, but Lord, help us to remind ourselves today that you are always working you, even if we don't feel it or see it. That's what faith is all about. So rekindle that faith in us today, Lord. For those that have drifted into Moab, you know, they've drifted there. They didn't make a decision. They've just ended up, they, um, they just ended up living there, man. Just because a little drift here, a little drift there, and suddenly they're out of Bethlehem and into Moab. Lord, that can happen so easy. I pray that you will speak to those folks right here, right now. Wake up. Oh, sleeper. Realize the days that you're living in. It's time to get out of Moab. It's time to make that choice, that decision, to get back to the house of bread, Bethlehem. 
where Jesus is the bread of life. Forgive us, Lord, for just letting life push us where it wants to push us instead of saying, no, 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 I'm going to keep my eyes fixed on Jesus. I'm going to keep my eyes fixed on him. I'm going to keep my eyes on him. And the things of this earth will grow strangely dim. Help that happen to us, Lord. In Jesus' name.